Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome. This is episode 169 of the Chills of Will podcast. What a pleasure to be joined today by Justin Tinsley. And just a little bio, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, but we'll fill in some of those gaps. Justin Tinsley is the author of It Was All a Dream, Biggie and the World That Made Him, and host of ESPN's 30 for 30 Nipsey Hustle original podcast called The King of Crenshaw. He is sports and culture senior reporter at Disney's Anscape, formerly The Undefeated, and weekly guest on ESPN's Around the Horn. How are you today? How you doing? My my man, 169 episodes. That's in, that's incredible, man. <laughs> that's incredible. I'm glad to be here. That. It's been it's been crazy. It's been to be able to talk to like people like you across the screen has just been really surreal. So Yeah, thank man. You for that and thanks for being on. Hey, thank you for this platform and thank you for this opportunity, man. I'm I'm really looking forward to this discussion. And you, sorry for the sun beaming on me right, right quick, but you I know. mean, I feel like it's a, it's an omen or something, you know. <laughs> hey, hope so, I hope so. I need to Does go that play follow the you around all the time. Does follow you around all the time. Uh I wish, I wish it did, but if, for right now, it will. So, <laughs> in the acknowledgments, you know, one of the main things we'll talk about is is the book about about Biggie, and in the acknowledgments, you talk about, um, you know, beautiful tribute to your grandmother. You talked about how I, I guess in the fifties, I want to say in in Louisiana, maybe it was a Loyola University. Uh, Xavier University, yeah, University. in Louisiana, yep, I knew yeah, yeah. One, in right? New Orleans, yep, in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, that she really had, you know, had wanted to go into nutrition. I don't know if that was like as a scientist or a writer, mm -hmm. but like it just really made me think about, you know, all the the shoulders that that we all stand on, the shoulders that you stand yeah. on. You know, obviously because yeah. of racism and bias as a, as a black woman, you that's what you wrote about just in a sense. Mm -hmm. or so. But I wonder, like, who's on whose shoulders you stand, and that's. Not just the the family members, but like I mean, who were you like growing up? Who were you reading? Who um, sports Ooh. writers or not? Who really you know inspires you? Man, that's wow. That's an incredible question to start off with, bro. Um, <laughs> so growing up, I knew you know we were talking you know beforehand about basketball, you know the Kings and Arco and just yeah. things like that. I like most kids who grew up in the late 80s and 90s you know I worshiped the ground like Michael Jordan walked on Same. but I knew very very early on that I was not going to be Michael Jordan the basketball player I, I learned that very early on and but one thing that always interests me bro like one thing that always like captivated my attention were was storytelling like being able to like not necessarily say, hey, Michael Jordan is really good at basketball. Like mm. anybody can see that. But here's the story beyond the story. So, you know, I grew up reading The Source magazine. I grew up reading Vibe, you know, Rolling Stone, Sports Illustrated. And I always I always enjoyed prose in those in those magazines. And, you know, my mom and my grandmother, they're former uh, school teachers. You know, my grandmother taught earth science in high school and middle school for 
over 40 years. And my mother is a retired speech pathologist and assistant principal. So they hammered home the notion of, of reading and education to me early on. And one of, one of the first books I remember reading when I was like six or seven uh, was The Jordan Rules. Oh, yeah. By, yeah, by, by Sam Smith. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? And I, I didn't really understand everything I was reading in there. But I'm like, wow, this is a look into Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and you know just the bulls period in ways that i don't see on tv in ways that i don't see every day and i was like i really enjoyed this so again i read all those magazines i read all those books and you know people like Stuart scott who was a huge influence on me from you know sports center robin roberts i just i've always been involved in storytelling and i knew that like i'll never be able to make music the way that some of these people do or mm. Uh, place definitely play sports the way that some of these people do, but I love to tell these stories. I love talking to people about these stories, and so those are the the. It's a much longer story, but we can get into it in later parts of the conversation. Yeah. But those are the shoulders that I stand on because they, you know, those people made it possible for me to even think that something that what I get a chance to do now is possible. Hmm. I remember two two stories stand out for me from Jordan Rules. Yeah. I, I just thought about this right now, but I love the shout out, at least two shout outs in the in the Vicky book, I think, to Craig Hodges. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. that's kind yeah. of a deep, deep cut right there. Yeah. So <laughs> all right. So since we're since we're having these conversations, <laughs> one of the more powerful stories I did in 2020, I obviously we all remember the year 2020, hmm. which feels like yesterday, but also feels like a lifetime ago definitely you know my wife and one of my best friends we were just talking about it at lunch earlier today but one of the stories i did that year was on craig hodges and it was shortly after the you know the george floyd murder and you know the world was reacting in the way that the world was reacting and i grew up and i remember craig hodges i remember that dude being like a sharpshooter and mm-hmm. then i remember dude just disappearing right you know what I mean? Because I, I, at that point, I was like eight or nine mm-hmm. and I, I didn't know what happened to him. And one thing led to another. I found his contact and, and I told him I wanted to interview him just about the George Floyd type thing at George Floyd situation. But that conversation turned into. I asked him about his life and he was very open and very charismatic and very vulnerable in terms of why he felt it was necessary to live the life that he has and why he doesn't regret anything and things of that nature. So he was, he was an incredibly savvy, brilliant and phenomenal guy to speak to. I've interviewed a lot of people over the course of my you know career, which I still hope has decades and decades more to yeah. blossom, but he was he was just truly phenomenal, and I and it always stuck with me. So when I was writing that book, mm-hmm. there were a lot of situations or a lot of topics in there that I spoke about that I spoke about with him, and oh. I was like, well, yeah, you know, just he remembers when Fred Hampton got killed. Hmm. You know, he remembers when uh, you know a certain you know incident with the police happened or a riot took place in this city or whatever the case may be. Like he remembered that. And I was just like, yo, I, I, 
I don't even know if Craig Hodges read the book. I don't even know if Craig Hodges knows I wrote a book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like it, that, that interview, it meant so much to me that I was like, you know what? I at least got to make a, a, a homage to him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm glad you picked that <laughs> up because nobody's ever said that to me. So I'm glad you <laughs> caught it. <laughs> well, man, I mean, I, I think of him like at the racks at the three point contest. I mean, like I, like you said, I mean, that, that was a sharp shooter. If there's ever a sharp shooter, I mean, he could. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, no, one of the wild things is, and for anybody who's listening, go back and watch the 1993 uh, three-point contest. Craig Hodges is in there. Craig Hodges doesn't play for a team. It's the um, first and only time that a quote-unquote free agent yeah. participated in the in any all-star activity. Whoa. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. It's on YouTube. You can go watch it yeah. right now. I remember from the Jordan rules is that it was like, I think um, like the first Iraq war, Operation Desert Storm had just started. Yep. And he was he was saying something like, man, like if if I if we were to back up right now, you know, like Michael Jordan's the main could be a main target. You know, what I mean, he'd be like representative of like American, you know, quote unquote exceptionalism or something like that. So I remember yeah. that from Jordan rules. Yep. I remember I think I remember um, them talking about how Jordan would get women that would just like lay under his tires, part part obsessive, part maybe get a little paycheck, you know, if they get hurt mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, I'm like, man, that's yep. That's um, yeah. success or something or power or something. Yeah, it, it, right. it's something. If you it's you something. hit the nail, it's something. I don't know what it is. I I don't I don't want that. I I'll take the money, but I won't right. take the, everything that comes with it. In that case, sure. my lack of specificity may be a good thing on that word. I, you know, something. I don't like that word usually as a writer, but you know. <laughs> no, no, it, it's perfect for this for this case for sure. There you go. So as you got into you know high school and college and began choosing more of your reading, I mean I know you did as a kid too, but like stuff in school that you had to read. Who were you? Who were you reading? I mean even up until today, like who are some of those contemporary, however you want to judge contemporary writers who just throw you? Ooh, so one of the first books, and I have it actually tattooed on my arm. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, really? it's right here. Yeah, oh, uh, is it, it says oh, yeah. only only the mistakes have been mine. That is the last sentence from Malcolm X's autobiography, which mm. I still say to this day, it's probably it, not probably it is the most important book I've ever read. And it's the mm. book I try to reread every like four to five years when I find myself in a different, I guess you could say, space in yeah. life, yeah. Um, because I feel like just beyond him being Malcolm X and beyond his role in the civil rights movement, I, I just feel like he's he's like honestly the most fascinating person to ever live mm. you know and so the the autobiography of michael max was was great to get a chance to to work with danielle smith mm. after reading her work and being like a fanboy of her work for mm. so for so many years to work with her at the undefeated was maybe like the crowning achievement of my career wow yeah like i learned She's somebody that I, you know, I, I've always enjoyed how she told stories and I always enjoy how she humanized, you know, the topics that she covered, especially like the uncomfortable topics. Mm. And I learned so much from her. So to call her an editor, but really to call her, I can't even call her a friend because it's deeper than that. Mm. Um, Danielle Smith, like, if she ever listens to this, like, I really, really want her to know that like yo she changed my life in so many ways and i i'll never you know we both love tupac you know like so ain't no way i can pay her back but my plan is to show her that i understand and you know what i mean and i i love danielle smith and 
you know, her husband, Elliot Wilson, I read him for so many years. I, I would tell him this story all the time. Like when I was in high school, uh, I was working at the grocery store uh, down the street from um, my mom and my grandma's house. And he was the editor in chief of Double uh, XL at that point. Mm. And he was YN. And I used to worship those magazines. And I, I loved Elliot and, and all the swagger and the charisma and like the 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 brilliant pros that he would bring to the game. So the fact that I can call those two people just like family members now, mm. like I got their numbers in my phone, like. Danielle ain't really the greatest at texting. You know what I mean? Like if I if I'm being held You're hostage, your business I, out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean, if I'm if I'm being held hostage, I you won't text Danielle, but I will call her and she'll pick up. <laughs> but like Danielle and Elliot, like those those two people, I read them a lot growing up. Um, Ralph Wiley, mm. the the late great Ralph Ralph rest Wiley. Oh yeah. Rest in peace. Like yeah. just. I mean, just beautiful the way he just like I, if I'm one eighth of the writer that Ralph Wiley was, then I will have done something, you know, respectable with my career. Oh, he was a must read, man. Yeah, he, he was yeah. he was a must read. But, you know, I could keep going. But there there's so many different people. I don't even want to start naming names beyond that. Like, I uh, well, one one I can name one of my best friends in the world, David Dennis. David mm -hmm. Dennis Jr., uh, published author, critically acclaimed yes. of the movement, made us. Uh, our books honestly came out on the same day. That's right. And uh, he's always been somebody that I feel like he's such a better writer than I am. And the fact that, like, he sees me on his level will never not, like, mm. I don't even know if I can curse on here, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It will never not shock the fuck out of me. Huh. You know what I mean? Like, I think David is somebody that that really moves me and really he he motivates me. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I can keep going, but those names definitely yeah. in particular they stand yeah. out. I know that you have great love for HBCUs and Hampton, yeah. right? Where you went, where you went to school, right? Yes, sir. Hampton University, the real HU. There you go. I think it was on. I think it was on your Twitter. Or I don't know where I, I saw it, but you posted like a really like. Like such a cool tribute to like HBCUs in general and to Hampton. And oh I remember, yeah, yeah, I was able to share that with one of my students who has a family history, and she was loving it. Was but it like, a video? Yeah, it was like maybe like a three or four minute clip. Yeah, yeah. So it, that was something that I did for. Yeah, yeah, it was on HBCU homecomings. Right. Uh, it it was for outside the lines. It was. They wanted yeah. me to do a video essay on it. Yep. So I wonder, kind of a combined question, but like about the the influence of Hampton on you, as well as just like when you really started to say, "Man, I could." be a Ralph Wiley I can be somebody that people read and people really enjoy my work man HBCUs like I'm I'm we're not having this conversation right now if 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 it's you know up to HB, if it if it's not HBCUs mm -hmm. if HBCUs aren't in the picture I grew up around historically black colleges my entire life yeah. my my grandfather my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my mother, they all went to South Carolina State University in Orangeburg, South Carolina. My grandmother went to Xavier down in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, you know, my uncle, um, he went to Virginia State for a bit. And, you know, my grandfather, he just, he was in he was in coaching in HBCUs for a long time. Mm. And he's in the CIAA Hall of Fame as an athletic director. Really? So, yeah, I, I grew up around Black I mean, I knew Black colleges existed before before any other colleges. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Before, you know, the power five and, you know, all that type of stuff. So I, I kind of knew early on that I was going to go to a black college and I wanted to go to one where I could really cement my own legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom really wanted me to go to South Carolina state and I love South Carolina state, but I wanted to go somewhere. It was like, nah, I'm the first one to go here. And Hampton, Hampton just happened to be that. And it was during my fall semester of my senior year at Hampton. I took this intro to blogging class. It was fall mm-hmm. 07. And I was like, man, what the, like, what the hell is blogging? Like, I don't really care. Like, I just, I need a grade. You know what I mean? I just need something to just pad my GPA. And like, yeah. I graduate in a couple of months. That turned out, that turned out to be the most important class I ever took at Hampton. Wow. Yeah. Because it taught me how to create a website. It taught me how to like, publish stories and publish whatever the hell I wanted to publish. So when I graduated in May 2008, and if you remember where the world was in 2008, that's mm-hmm. right when the recession hit. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find a job. I couldn't do anything. Uh, but at Hampton, I was known as the guy that had all the new music. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had the new mixtapes, whether it was a new Wayne mixtape, new Jeezy, the dream, um, you know, whoever was popping at that moment, I I always had the new music. So, so once we graduated, space, what space was that? Sorry, like you know, because I, I yeah. was like I was like Blogspot. So download music. That was the like that was Lime. Yeah, that was the LimeWire Kazaa era. Okay, Kazaa. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I guess yeah, I think yeah. after changed to Kazaa, right? Maybe it changed. I name think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bear Share and all that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not now we're really in the weeds. I'll just say, is the statute um, limitation still around though? Are we. I hope not, because the <laughs> Lord knows I thought they were gonna knock on my door for years, especially the way I was downloading music, bro. Um, yeah. So yeah, so once we graduated, you know, myself and my friends, we dispersed all around the country. You know, people would hit me up all the time, like, "Yo, where can I get the new music from? Where can I do this?" And I was like, "Well, I got tired of sending it to people individually, mm-hmm. so I just created my own website." And I was like, "Yo, come here and just get your music." Yeah. And one day, one of my friends hit me. He was like, and we went to Hampton together, and he was like, Tens, yo, I'm loving your website. I go there every day. And, you know, I, I started to see the traffic build on the website, too, because mm-hmm. I'm a competitive person. Once I see something working, it's like, all right, well, how can we make it better? How can we uh-huh. do this, that, and the third? And he hit me. He was like, Tens, I really like, I, I love your site. I love your site. I download the music there every day. But, like, I think you need to post less music, but you need to write more. And I'm like, that's dumb. Yeah. Like, why, why would I do that? Like, he was like, no, I really think what you have to say on things is like, really, I don't, I don't, I don't read it anywhere else. Dang. And also, so what if it takes more time? You ain't got a job. It ain't <laughs> like you got to be to work in like ouch. 20 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Point yeah, two. ouch, but <laughs> also true. And I started doing it more and more. And I was like, yo, I really love writing. I really love doing this. And to make, I'm already long-winded as it is on this answer, but to make a long story much, much shorter, that's how I really became involved in writing online. Mm. And the one thing led to another. And I'm on your show on the 169th episode. (laughs) Good good memory. Anscape, you know, which was was the undefeated. Did Mm -hmm. did it start around 2015? Is that what you're saying? So yeah, I start I I started at ESPN in January 2015, and you know I was hired I was hired by Jason Whitlock, mm-hmm. and you know I was brought in as the young writer, and 
you know, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have the the Times, the L.A. or New York Times mm-hmm. under my belt or Washington Post or Boston Globe or Dallas Morning News or Chicago Tribune or whatever, you know, these really established like grandfatherly type, right? you know, institutions are and like brilliant institutions, institutions that you would love to have on your resume. Cool. I just didn't have that. I was blogging. I was I was freelancing and all that. Hmm. So they took a chance on me, and I I was supposed to be groomed to be this this next great writer to come under this umbrella. And of course, you, you, you we all understand the leadership changes changes that happen at uh, the undefeated and eventually hmm. Anscape. And, and so by January 2016, Kevin Merida had taken over hmm. uh, the undefeated. And he obviously he was the managing editor of the Washington Post before he came to the undefeated. And we had a conversation and I was in L.A. And he was like, yo, would you be willing to move back east? Because I want the, the headquarters to be in D.C. And, you know, I was living life in L.A. I, I loved L.A. You know, what I mean, everything L.A., everything had to offer. I mean, everything. So and I'm like, you know what? I'm living a great life out here on the West Coast, but. I need to get my career in order. Like I'm 29. I'm almost 30 at this point. I need yeah. to get this shit in order. And I moved back to the East coast and yeah, it, it was one of the best decisions of my life. Did you, so you had to say goodbye to Sharkies. Ooh, had to say goodbye <laughs> to Sharkies, had to say goodbye to Roscoe's, had to say goodbye <laughs> yeah. to my LA cafe and a um, yeah. salmon tacos. Ooh, oh. I need to get back out to LA. So know, yeah. Right. So with Anscape, I mean, what a wide swath of type of uh, articles, right? I mean, Marvin Gaye was it? Marvin Gaye and, his, and like his he was a, he was an athlete. He was a football player. I didn't know this, right? Yeah, yeah. My my very first story for ESPN. This is even before the undefeated launch. So mm-hmm. this was August 2015. The the undefeated launched in May of 2016. My very first story was on Marvin Gaye's NFL tryout, huh? Uh, with the Detroit Lions, because because a lot of people don't know and. It's still something I want to turn into like a bigger piece of content, yeah. maybe turn into like a, a movie or something. I don't know. Huh. But yeah, so when you listen to the song, what's going on? Obviously, Marvin Gaye's, you know, 1971. I only I don't even think classic is the right word. Right. It's something beyond that. But when you first listen to the song, there are two guys talking on there. They're like, hey, brother, what's happening? What's yeah, going yeah, yeah. on? Uh-huh. Um, that's Lim Barney and Mel Farr. For those yeah. who don't know, that is the 1967 Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year for the Detroit Lions, Whoa. who were very, very close friends with Marvin Gaye. Huh. And if you read the story, you understand the whole backstory. But yeah. um, Marvin convinced them to jump on the song with him. And then after that, he was like, well, y'all were teammates of mine on the song. I want to be y'all's teammates. And yeah. they were like, they were like, wait, what? <laughs> and it was Marvin wanted so he got a he got a tryout okay. with the Detroit Lions. You know, it wasn't anything serious. He was not <laughs> at training camp, but it meant that much to Marvin. So Lombardi and Mel Farr, and I spoke to their coach who's still alive, Joe Schmidt. He's in his 90s now. Whoa. He told me about the trial. He was like, it was like a shirt and skins type trial that we had <laughs> in like May, like yeah. long after the season was over, well before training camp started. Right. And Lim and Mel talked to him. It was like, yo this would really mean a lot to him. And 
he's been through a lot. You know, Tammy Terrell had died recently and, mm. you know, his brother had fought in Vietnam and he was really um, messed up about that. And so like Joe Schmidt was, Co- Coach Schmidt was like, look, I love his music. I'm not putting him on the team because I put him on the team. I can't hear new music from him. So <laughs> selfishly, no, he's not going to make the team because I want new music from him. <laughs> but also, too, it's like Mar- at that point, Marvin's 31 years old. Mm. I'm not putting a 31 year old Marvin Gaye to run across the middle of the field and get decleated yeah, by like up. me, Joe Green and like Dick Buckus, <laughs> you know, like. But, you know, if this is what he needs, then. Come out here, run some routes. We'll That's try cool. you out at like running back and uh-huh. wide receiver and tight end. And, you know, so obviously he was never really going to make the team. But by the letter of the law, Marvin Gaye tried out for the NFL. Hmm. You know, everything from that to, you know, about about motherhood, like with Serena Williams, you know, some that we would be, you know, more on the the in the metro section or the political side, whatever the paper's called, to you know, just to the strip yeah. sports. You know, so like on your on your website, it it talks about right off the subheading is drawing sophisticated parallels between culture and sport. Yeah. I mean what how is that I guess allowed allowed you to do that? I mean, even like you're talking about Malcolm X earlier, there's a there's a great article you have about Malcolm X and Jackie Robinson. Yeah. You talk about like different eras in some ways, right? Yeah. Um, you know, an oral history about from LA athletes, which of course, you know, is, is connected to, to BIG and all that. But yeah. I wonder how you feel like you've really been given the freedom or how that allows you to do sports, sports, but also, you know, outside of sports and connect that. You know, one thing um, I used to, when I first started driving, when I first got my driver's license, I would take my grandmother down to Rock Hill, South Carolina to see her her brother who at the time was still living and because my grandmother couldn't really drive like that anymore mm-hmm. and you know from where i lived in virginia to rock Hill, south carolina i'm like damn that's like seven eight hour drive i'm mm-hmm. like man i'm gonna need some music so <laughs> i would pack all of my cds with me and like all right and my grandmother was like yo listen to whatever you want i don't know what they're saying <laughs> you know what i mean like i don't really care and i'm like all right cool i'll pack all my cds and Peter, it's crazy, man. I would pack like 30, 40 CDs. I would never listen to a single CD mm. because we would just talk. Yeah. Like, I've always been a big fan of history. And I've always been a, and if you read my stories and you'll understand it too, is like, where were you when this event happened? And so, like, I would ask my grandmother, I'm like, so where were you when you found out President Kennedy was assassinated? Where were you when, you know, Martin Luther King gave his speech or Malcolm X got killed? Or where were you when this life event happened? And and sometimes I would have to remind her, like, okay, what year Hmm. and around what month? And then she she could go from there. But, like, I've always appreciated history and I've always appreciated the humanistic connection to it. Hmm. And so, like, when I write these stories, I've always tried to present them in in that type of light. And... Um, so when I started at ESPN and honestly, we just spoke about the Marvin Gaye story, the Marvin Gaye story gave me a lot of runway, a Mm. lot of bandwidth because they was like, Oh, these are the type of stories you write. I'm like, Mm. yeah, this is what I do. Like, of course I could talk about sports. I could talk about the X's and O's of it Mm -hmm. and this, that, and the third, but like, you already have a lot of people here doing that. Mm. And some of whom, many of whom will do it far better than I ever could because I don't care to do it like that. I mm-hmm. like talking about the cultural connection to these mm-hmm. moments and in, mm-hmm. in these events. And so once people really saw what I brought to the table, and, and this is what I've been doing long before 
You know, right. I got the ESPN. But once people saw what I brought to the table, it was kind of like I didn't create my own position. But when I when I started calling myself a sports and culture reporter, it, it picked up and yeah. like it, it it caught fire. And so I'm just really grateful that like I can I can do damn near any type of story that I want to do now. That's incredible freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. something I don't take for granted at all. Well, just in looking through some of the articles too, like, man, you brought me back to that. It's not your fault, the the Uncle Phil. Nah. Why yes. did he, why did he, oh man. What yeah, a scene. What yeah, a scene. Yeah. What a scene. Yeah. Oof. That was, that was something. I, I right. got every member of the cast except Will and Carlton. Really? Yeah, I got every member of the cast except Will and Carlton. Oh man. So, you know, Around the Horn is like you talk about some other interviews. It's like, man, that's, you know, air, airports and bars <laughs> like that is on the screen. Like, well, there's doesn't have to be just dudes, of course, but well, there's dudes like that's on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, it's on everywhere. Right. And mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about, you know, you you know grew up with it. It's the 20 year anniversary was was last year, 2022. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, you, mm -hmm. you know, you grew up with it. We grew up with it. And now that you're, you're a part of it and you're, you know, you're competing against these legends and you're one of the legends yourself. Like, <laughs> where's that line between like, this is freaking surreal. And like, I'm, I'm here to compete. I'm here to, you know, share my, share my thoughts because I'm, I'm good enough. Yeah. So it's, it's never not going to be surreal to me, <laughs> you know, cause that, that show had 18 years in the can before I, before right. I came on board. And, you know, I remember watching it back in high school watching it back in college and like my friends and I, we, we would try to mimic the show in terms of like, <laughs> all right, here's what Tony's going to ask. They're going to ask about, Oh, 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 what do you feel about Kobe's game last night? Or yeah. what do you feel about, you know, Tom Brady did this or Serena did that or whatever the case may be. And we would try <laughs> to come up with our own answers and whatever Tony would give Woody page or Bob Ryan yeah. or Michael Smith or Jamel Hill, or whatever the case may be, whatever, Whatever points they got, those were our points. So uh, we grew up mimicking the show. So <laughs> to be a guest, not a guest, but to be a weekly panelist on the show mm -hmm. now, man, like it, to sit in that seat and to hear Tony go through like the intro of the shows, like, yeah, it's around the horn. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. <laughs> like I'm sitting in this seat and I'm watching this show and I'm a part and not even a part of the show. Like I'm part of the history of the show now. Yeah. yeah. And I've been on it. This is my, this is, this is my third calendar year being on the show. Right. And it's something that I will never take for granted. And it's something that I am eternally grateful for. So, mm. you know, I met Tony in 2019 when he came to the undefeated's office and I just introduced myself to him. And I told him like, yo, I would like to be a guest on the show. How, however mm. that process works and salute to Tony reality too. Cause he's somebody that, when you see him on TV, you're like, man, this dude has a lot of energy. He's like mm -hmm. really energetic and he's a really tight people person. But maybe he's not like that, like away from the camera. Yeah. He's not like that away from the camera. He's like a hundred times more away from the camera. Huh. Like he is one of the nicest, mo most gracious, most like I want to help you however I can type mm -hmm. people. Like He's one of the best people you will ever meet. That is awesome. And man. yeah, no, and like I can't sing that guy's praises enough. Like mm. there, like I, you can't even say if, if there was a world full of 
people like Tony Reality, the world, the world would be a better place. If the world was 25% of the people who are just like Tony Reality in terms of like their personality and how they want to help people, this we would be living in a totally different place right now. Wow. And in a much better place. And that's how much, that's how much praise I have for Tony. So when I met him in 2019, he could have easily said, like, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want right. to be on the show? Of course everybody wants to be on the show. Yeah, it's yeah. around the horn. Take like he, take, he take looked at, line, yeah. I'll never forget that look that he gave me. He looked me in my eye. He was like, let's make it happen. Like, I really want to make this happen. And uh, of course, you know, the pandemic happens in 2020. So that slows and changes everything down. But uh there was a group at ESPN. Uh they started this program called Here For It. Hmm. And it was basically like a training, training ground for like, you know, young talent at ESPN because they wanted to get more younger and diverse. And, and if you watch around the horn, you can see that like the, the talent pool, it's it's different. You got younger mm-hmm. people, you got, you know, black and, you know, men and women and just, you, you know, Hispanic, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Like you can see like the talent pool is way more reflective of like what society looks like. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, you know, that's because of here for it. Mm. And they, 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 they really, it was kind of like a farm system right, <laughs> for, right, right, right. for, for a lot of that stuff. Like Again, baseball to use a sports analogy. So they, I, I started with, you know, uh, I'm a home girl. I call her my sister, Monica McNutt, who is a, a, a superstar in her own right now. Mm. And we started, like, we were partners and like, we, we, we would like debate back and forth, like via yeah. zoom. You know, via Zoom, Uh what we're doing right now. And, you know, for whatever reason, they call me up first. I have no clue. Like, Monica (laughs) is like a thousand times more talented than I am. But, like, they called me up first, and Monica came later. And then, you know, David Dennis, and you see Mm Martensi Johnson on there. And Mm -hmm. it's just, um, to be on Around the Horn, man, you you said it. One of my homeboys told me, he was like, bro, you realize you're on at every barbershop and every airport (laughs) in America. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I never thought about it like that. And so when I was going through airports and I see around the horn on, I'm like, damn. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. You know, so yeah. But I, I I love that show and I'm I'm eternally grateful for how it's changed my life and how it's changed my career. Yeah. And yeah, well, shout out to Tony Reale and Josh Bard and Aaron Solomon and Tierna and Carolyn and you know just Jeff and just everybody. I know I'm naming people, so I'm probably going to be cussed out for forget for you know forgetting those names. And Peach and shout out to my girl Jasmine. Keep going, you know keep going. Charles, like all all of y'all. Like I'm not here without them. Like mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want people to think that like oh I'm I'm self made. I did I did this by myself. Hell no, I ain't self made. Mm-hmm. I'm here because people believed in me probably even more than I believed in myself. And so shout out to them, man. That is, that is so, so cool to hear. I mean, like I, I, I personally, for what it's worth, I'm, I'm just not a big fan usually of like, you know, I mean, sorry, you know, ESPN, like prime time or like those shows, you know, two hours before football. And there's like 13 dudes at the table, Yeah, you know, 13 men and women at the table. And it's like, you can't even get them all on the same screen. And what, you know, they all make their predictions and, you know, these, these experts are like, you know, 55 and 58 on the year. And you're just like, what's the point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but around the horn is so different. And that, and like you talk about, I guess it starts, you know, it starts with Tony Reale. Like just the cool, it's just, uh, it's 
the way that the discussions happen and it's obviously yeah. competitive, but it's all in good fun in many ways. That's just cool to hear. Like, you know, people with like your type of, you know, your work ethic and your, the way you look at your philosophy and same with him. It's like, no wonder it's, it's such a, it has such staying power, you know? Yeah. And you know, I give Tony a lot of credit too, because it's a competitive show. We all want to mm. win, but it, <laughs> it's really up to the discretion of Tony who, who, who gives out the points. And even he'll tell you like, I don't even know how to point to work. I just <laughs> give them out as they come along. So, but, That's hilarious. but the, the, the really good thing about that show is like when we have like serious conversations, like yeah. on, on topics that, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm pulling this topic out the air, but um, when we talk about Deshaun Watson and, mm. you know, the, the several cases, you know, multiple cases uh, of allegations. Dozens of, of cases. Yeah. Th- yeah, right? yeah, feel, yeah. Thousands of cases. Like we don't give points on that mm. because there's no way to sit here and say that, whatever I have to say is more valuable than what Peter has to say. Sure. Or, or is more valuable than what, you know, Sarah Spain or Mina Combs or L Duncan have to say, you know what I mean? Like, so when we have these serious discussions, I appreciate that we can just have a discussion about that. We can get Mm -hmm. back to the competitive stuff like, Oh, well, you know, the Lakers have won three of their last four, like where are they going from here? Or, you know, (laughs) Aaron Rodgers going to sit in a dark room for three hours and <laughs> contemplate his future or whatever, whatever the hell Aaron Rodgers is doing. Right. So like on those type of topics, yeah, you can give points out because mm-hmm. you know, they're fun and, and we can make them educational and entertaining. But when it comes to like the serious topics, like those, that's when the show really begins to show how much it's evolved and how much it, it, it not even wants to have, multiple you know entry points to a conversation but but how necessary it is to have those Mm -hmm. and you know shout out again shout out to that show and like tony he gives you he gives you the runway he was like yeah once you get on the runway you say what you need to have but like all right we're gonna toss it over to justin tinsley justin what do you think then it's showtime you know, mm-hmm. Tony doesn't tell you what to say. He doesn't give you any top and the hints right. on what to say. It was like, you take it from there. So uh, mm-hmm. the fact that the fact that I'm on a show that I watched when I was in high school and now that like I'm on here and, you know, I'm speaking on issues that actually like matter and, you know, you know, mean something like I don't I don't take that lightly and I can't imagine a day when right. I do take that lightly. Right. I think you were you were positioning it as that you kind of you almost thought it was like a prank call when you actually kind of got the word for around the horn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. then and then with the with your book, it was all a dream. Biggie and the world that made him. You 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 thought it was like a spam email. So like and it ended up being a real thing. So yeah. um, you know, I don't know. You gotta you gotta make sure that you're you're screening those calls and all that, I guess, huh? Yeah, I got thank God I didn't block that call and thank god i didn't delete that email from you know uh, abram's books so right the backstory behind that for people who may not be familiar uh so with around the horn i was doing here for it and i've been doing it for a couple of months and i got a call from aaron solomon who's been the producer of around the horn mm-hmm. or one of the producers of around the horn since around the horn started he's been there since before day one yeah. he called me he was like hey man you know we, we've been really impressed by what you've had on you know here for it we want to bring you up for around the horn i'm like 
Man, <laughs> I had to put the phone on mute. And I was like, man, get the hell out of here, man. Don't be calling me with no dumb shit like that. Like, come on, man. You don't want me on. And thankfully they did. So with the book, and shout out to Aaron Solomon. We 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 have great great times in the DC office lamenting over our NFC East fandom. Ooh. Um, yeah, he's a Washington fan. I'm a Dallas fan. Pretty uh, much ends the same way every year for us. Yeah, ends the same way. Yeah, we can get into that later. <laughs> um, but with the book, so I'm going through my Gmail, and you know, you have the same Gmail account for a long time, and you can get a lot of spam mail. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going through delete, 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 delete. I get to one that says Biggie Smalls book interest or something like that. And like question mark. I'm like, Biggie Smalls book. I'm like, I yeah. haven't heard I haven't heard of a new book on Big. And like, and also I I read that. I'm like, what the what the hell are you gonna tell me about Biggie Smalls that I don't already know? Right. So I was like, mm, well, whatever, let me click on it. And I saw that it wasn't spam. I saw that it came from an actual person. And they, you know, they were asking me, uh, would I be interested in writing a book on Biggie Smalls? Because they had read some of my previous work and I came recommended from somebody that they knew. To, to this day, I still don't know who that person is that recommended mm -hmm. me for it. So shout You're out welcome. to whoever. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, thank you, Peter. I appreciate <laughs> you, Peter. It's good. It's good to finally have that mystery answered. In you know. My life. That's the whole point um, of you guys getting together on this. I just wanted to do that. that look, you, you, yeah. I, knew I don't want to make it about me. I don't want to make it about me. I freaking knew. No, we can make it about you. <laughs> look, that's an opportunity to change my life. But so I spoke to Jameson Stoles, who's the who's my editor on the book. And he works at Abrams Press in uh, Manhattan and out in New York. And we signed the contract in January 2020. And that was the largest check that I've gotten at one point in time in my sure, life. Sure. And I'm like, oh, damn, this is lit. And I'm like, this is crazy. I was like, man, I got some credit card bills I got to pay <laughs> right? off. I got to do this. I got to do you that. You didn't pull a Ricky Henderson. You didn't pull a Ricky Henderson and just post it up on a, like, a, as, as if it's a portrait <laughs> in your room or something like that? I should have. I should have. <laughs> Shout out to Ricky Henderson, man. Right? One of my all-time favorite athletes. Oh, man. Um, I'm Yeah, you live in Her Sacramento. So, yeah, you know. You know, uh, yeah. Northern Cali. Back but, when stolen bases used to be a thing. Yes. That? Used yes. To yes. And nobody was better at it than him. Not, exactly. Not anymore. Um, so it's crazy because I book travel to like New York. Because obviously if you're writing a book on Bay, you got to go to New York. Hmm. Um, LA for, you know, the obvious reasons. Um, he was looking to move to Atlanta at the yeah. end of his life. So I wanted to go to Atlanta. And, you know, I wanted to go to Chicago and a couple other places. So I booked all this travel. Then the pandemic hit mm. and in quarantine and none of us can move. And I'm like, damn, I can't get anywhere. And I'm like, ah, shit. I didn't spend my advance money already. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, like I can't get it back. Like, it's kind of like the, the, the plot to like a, a comedy is like, ah, man, you um... spend all your, you spend all your drug money. And you didn't get any, you didn't re-up? I'm like, oh, man. So the whole the whole book was written, honestly, written, researched, interviewed, and reported uh, in quarantine. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, basically on Zoom. Mm -hmm. you know, on Zoom or FaceTime or the phone. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't I didn't interview anybody in person for wow, this book. crazy. Yeah, I couldn't. You it's wouldn't just, know it. You wouldn't know it. Man. I Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And you know, I was I was really worried and I was really concerned because I'm like, 
damn, this is like big. This mm. is Biggie Smalls. Like, what the hell do I tell? Again, the same. I had the same question for myself that I had when I first got the email a couple of months mm. earlier. Like, what the hell do I tell people about Biggie Smalls they don't already know? Right. Like, really? Like, um, but thankfully, my wife was like, you need to make it an examination of the of society. Hmm. You know, like obviously we know about Biggie, but you'll tell people things about his life that they don't know. But you need to like just do an examination of the world. Hmm. And hence you see the title of the book, Biggie and the World That Made Him. Yep. So when you read the book, for anybody who has read the book and anybody who hasn't uh read the book yet, it's like None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like, Biggie doesn't just get off his stoop one day and be like, you know what? I'm going to sell drugs. I'm going to sell crack. Well, how did crack get introduced into this country? Mm-hmm. And, like, why did so many people from Brooklyn and other parts of New York and all across the country feel that they had no other option but to just sell this when, in reality, like, this country and this world is always put that opportunity in front of them or, or, or that option. I ain't going to say opportunity, but, mm. but put that o- option in front of them. You know, we, we can go back to Vietnam. Like that's why when you read the b- book, I have so many historical examinations about things that happened even before big got here. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how America basically tricked his own mother into moving here. Mm. You know, like she <laughs> sees these, these pamphlets of, New York and you, you know it's the land of milk and honey here you know mm. big buildings bright lights it's America come here you have a great time mm. not really realizing this is a messed up place and mm. once she got here she was here and, and you know basically a year and years some change two years after she got here she had a baby boy mm. she had to raise that baby boy here and that baby boy had to deal with you know, the world that he was born into, the mm. world that his mother desperately tried to protect him from. Right. But, you know, and that's what I wanted to portray in this book. Yes, it is a biography of Biggie Smalls. But if you're coming into this book thinking you're just going to read about Christopher Wallace, then either I hate to break it to you or I would love to break it to you. Mm. You're not. You're going to read about the world and just how all of these things are happening at the same time while this young bright-eyed brilliant wordsmith Hmm. from brooklyn new york is growing up at the same time Well, there's a great jumping off point in the intro in his, I guess one of his last, if not his last like big interview was with Rap City. And yeah. he said, you, you you write about how like the line that really stuck with you was, he said, yeah. get to know me, man. To know me is to love me. Yeah. So I wonder how that yeah. kind of guided you as you wrote. I, you know, the, the one thing is I had known about that interview for years. Yeah. You know, I'd always, I'd always look for it, especially, you know, once YouTube became a thing, you know, like, okay, well, what does this last person's interview look like? What is this? What was this person doing at this point in time in their life right before they lost their lives? And I remember I had seen that Rap City interview and I probably saw it live like hmm. in 97. I just didn't remember it. Yeah. But like, I really remember seeing it back in like 20, I want to say 2011, 2012. YouTube was still relatively young at that point. Mm-hmm. But, and I saw it, I'm like, damn, 
like that's a that's a powerful interview. Like he gave the interview on February 24th, 1997. And by March 9th, 1997, he was dead. Like no, none of us know when the second date on our tombstone is coming. Sure. And so when you hear him talk in that interview, he's talking from a perspective like, yeah, I'm going to be here for at least another 50, 60 years. You know what I mean? I got a chance to right all the wrongs that I may have done in my life up to that point. Mm-hmm. And that one line, get to know me, man, to know me is to love me. I feel like we all know Biggie Smalls. We all know his music. We've partied to it. We've smoked to it. We've done whatever to it. But do you really know who he is? And once you really get to know who this person is, I think you'll have a deeper appreciation for, you know, the short time that he had in this world. And even more importantly, why he still remains so magnetic, Mm -hmm. you know, over a quarter century later at this point. Man, he was young. Man, I don't think people really realize how young he was. Like, mm. him him, and Tupac, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, like, yeah. We, we all knew they were young, but like, and when you read the intro, like, I lament on that. It was like, bro, he was 24. Mm. He was 24 when he passed. And that, my book came out on what would have been, what would have been his 50th birthday. Yeah. So like, he, by the time that book came out, mm-hmm. and and my book came out in May of last year, yeah, he had already been gone longer than what he was around on the earth mm-hmm. and, and alive. So, mm-hmm. like, yes, you know, Tupac made these decisions. Biggie made these decisions. You know, they they all made these decisions, but they were young. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not excusing any of the bad decisions that they made by any stretch. Mm-hmm. But it's like, bro, when you're twenty, when you're twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, and you're like the most recognizable person in your profession, and and you know, attention is on you at all times. Like, I don't know how I would have lived. You know what I mean? I don't know how I would have reacted. And it's just like they didn't even get a chance to grow into the people that they were supposed to become. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted this book to reflect about about Big. Again, not excusing him for any of the mistakes that he may have made in his life, but it's just like, where were you at 23, 24 years old? Right. And did you make all the right decisions? Mm-hmm. You probably didn't. I know I didn't. But this is, we only have 23, 24 years to base off of sure. Christopher Wallace's life because that's what that's the only thing we were afforded. Well, I mean, his famous one of his famous lines is "You're nobody till somebody kills you," right? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Elvis, you know, it's yeah. this whole idea, you know, wasted, you know, potential and what could have been, and you know, you always see Tupac as like good looking dude, twenty five, young, mm-hmm. like you know, he'd be he'd be what fifty two right now, maybe he'd have a pot belly, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you just never know, right? So I, I wonder about like how that guided you too, just the idea of like that potential and like what might have been, and also the way that even to this day, you know, you you quote all the people, so many people who knew him were just still still broken up. When yeah, it was what twenty six, almost twenty five, you know, twenty five years later. Yeah, twenty five, twenty six years later, and it's just like to the world, he was Biggie Smalls. To the world, he was the notorious Big. He was, you know. All of that, and, and you know, which is very important. But to a lot of people, he was Christopher Wallace. He was their best friend, you know, their cousin, 
or, you know, somebody that they had a lot of real life experiences with. And, you know, life, life goes on, life moves on, but you never forget that moment when you, you, you found out that you lost somebody that you really, really care about. You know, mm -hmm. that's the thing about life, man. You live long enough. You, you're going to know what that heartbreak feels like. But in that case, that heartbreak was something that just didn't have to happen. Right. You know what I mean? Like he didn't, Big didn't have to lose his life like that. Mm -hmm. And so when I speak to somebody like a Chico Delvec, who's, you know, one of Biggie's best friends from the moment they were 11, 12 years old. And he's like, yo, bro, I really don't want to talk about that particular part mm. of, of his death right now. It's just still too hard to deal with. And I'm like, I could ask follow-up questions on that. Yeah. I could I could do all that, but why? Mm -hmm. Like this is still a painful subject for him. And I always pride myself on being able to humanize people. Not necessarily glorify them, but humanize mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And I would be somebody who I would be very pissed off at. If I if I kept like digging and prodding and mm -hmm. trying, you know, I'm like, yo, this is yes, for me, it's a very personal project that I'm undertaking writing this book. But for somebody else, this is their life. Yeah. And so that that's how I approached it. Like, of course, I wanted to get as much information as I can, and I wanted to be the greatest reporter that I could, but like I, I'm not I'm not gonna like force you to relive trauma. That you mm -hmm. got to basically live with every day because Big is such a public persona, exactly public figure. Even to this day, like you walk outside in Brooklyn, you go hear Biggie at some point throughout mm -hmm. that day mm -hmm. or see his picture, you know, a mural or something like that. So uh, I knew that if I was going to do this, I had to do it right. And I had to do it in a respectful way. And I also had to do it in terms of like, when you read the book, the last chapter in the book is about his son, mm. CJ. That was so um, moving, man. Yo, man, I appreciate that. You know, I wanted to get Tiana as well, but I reached out to Tiana and, you know, her people got back to me and they were very respectful. And it mm -hmm. was just all, it was all love. And it was like, you know what? She's done a lot of projects on her dad over, over the last couple yeah. of months. And she just needs like some time. And I'm like, yo, I get it. Like, oh, I totally get it. And like, I, I respect that. And like, please tell her, I said, thank you for the consideration because mm. that, so when you read the book, it's only about CJ because CJ was somebody who I had formed a, I guess you say a good relationship with via social media mm -hmm. in the years prior, because I had written a story in 2018, I believe on LeBron talking about naming his first son after him, you know, mm. Bronny James, who was of course LeBron James Jr. Yeah. Um, and I was like, damn, like, and Le LeBron spoke about like the, I won't say it's a regret, but he didn't think about it at the time when he was 20 years old, when he, right. he and Savannah had him like, oh, I'm going to name my son LeBron James Jr. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> you know, like, he's like, damn, I ain't think about that. And I was like, yo, I remember a Biggie interview talking about CJ mm -hmm. a couple of months before Big got killed. And he was just like, yo, I want my son to be whoever he wants to become in life. Right. Like he don't have to be no rapper. He don't have to do this. And I wrote about the connection be between these two, like two mega stars in their mm -hmm. own worlds at two different points in time. And, you know, I just happened to tag CJ on it and he read it and he shared it on his sit on, on, on his Instagram. Mm -hmm. 
and he hit me. He was like, yo, this is an incredible piece, bro. You like, you taught me things about my dad. I didn't know. Wow. And we just, we just stayed cool from, from that point on. So when I got the opportunity to write the book, I'm like, yo, I want you to know that I got an, I got this opportunity and I want to do it, but I want to do it in the right way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want your, your grandmother, obviously Big's mom, I want your grandmother to know about this. And I want her to be comfortable with the fact that like, yo, this is not some hit piece or no. anything. Like I'm going to do it in the right way. Mm-hmm. I'm not going, I'm going to still talk about the really uncomfortable parts of his life for sure, yeah. but I'm going to do it in the right way. He was like, yo, I respect it. I'm, I'm going to make sure like my grandmother and her lawyer get this. They never responded back, but they never had any pushback about the yeah, book yeah, yeah. either. And CJ was like, yo, they may not have responded, but if you want to talk to me for any help I can provide, um, just let me know. And we, we, CJ was honestly one of the first interviews I did for the book, but I knew I wanted his chapter to be the last. Yes. Cause I felt like that was a good way to kind of like wrap it all up. I disagree. It was a great way to wrap it all up. That was, yeah, that was, <laughs> it had to be there. It had, it had to be there. Yeah. That was a great way to do it. I mean, I knew a, a bit, I knew uh, like a normal person would about his mother but I gained so much even more respect for his mother, you know, and just like I was telling you, I think before we started recording, just remembering like big was a, he was a first generation American. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He right. Was. And just so many, like you talk about how you want, you know, this book is, you know, with the subtitle being in the world of made him, it is about the larger world for sure. It's also like very specific to Brooklyn and, mm-hmm. you know, disinvestment in Brooklyn and the yep. police in Brooklyn or New York. And so mm-hmm. it's just, you know, and I just, I'm so impressed by how you, how you took yourself out of the book there were a couple of I's and we's that had to be there and they were helpful, but it was like, it really was like a nuanced piece about him. Yeah. And it had to be, it had to be about big and it had to be about Brooklyn. And I, yes. Yeah. Like I had to put myself in the book because it had to be like, okay, why are you of all people writing a book on somebody who we know so much about? So I'm glad you took that away, man. I appreciate that. A great, a great balance. And you know, there's just so much there about, about, puff puff daddy p diddy all the different names and just um his history and yeah you talked about chico and how he you know didn't want to push any further on that topic and to me like that was even more um profound than it would have been you know if you would have continued with it and what he would have said right just the fact that you wrote that he he stopped and that was it and i forget exactly i don't think it was chico i think it was another friend who talks about going to the biggie mural and like talking to him every day that was that was deep Man, right? It's 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 even deeper that you bring that up because that was DJ Fifty Grand. That was the oh, one. Oh yes, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. You know, fi- you know, Fifty passed last year. It was, oh, and yeah, yeah. he such a such an incredible guy to talk to, and he was just so knowledgeable about mm. Brooklyn, but definitely old Brooklyn because hmm. he could point out like cross streets, like oh yeah, 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 yeah. Big was hustling here. We did this. I remember when right. Big first came over and like. We chain smoked all these blunts and drank all these forties, uh, and like he recorded this demo, blah 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 blah. He gave me so much info. Guy, just, man. Yeah, and you know it was wild. Like I believe it was, damn. I would have to go back and look in my Instagram messages now, and that's so long ago at this point. <laughs> but I believe it was his niece who reached out to me, and I wrote a story right after you know fifty had passed, and I was like, yo. To the casual hip hop fan, like DJ Fifty Grand may not be a name that you like readily, you know, recognize off the rip, but just know like this guy is like he's irreplaceable Hmm. in terms of the history of hip hop, and like 
he recorded the demo that, that quite literally changed the game. It was actually big one of Big's best friends, D Rock, Damian Butler, who uh, introduced 50 to Big or Biggie to 50 because he was like, yo, my man raps and he's good. And they ended up, you know, long story short, they recorded a demo and Big recorded the demo like in one take, you know, like fresh off of who knows how many blunts, who knows how many 40s. <laughs> like he was lit. But when you're, when you're natural as naturally, gifted at something as rapping was to big then you know it just can't it, you know you can do it in one take so that that one that that demo tape made it into the hands of dj mr c who you know basically polished up the demo tape got it into maddie c at the source who put him in the unsigned height which yeah. got him to puffy who was still at uptown at that point and so that that's how that happened so the the thing is, Biggie never shopped his music. Biggie right. was never like, "Yo, I rap, I'm good." I'm, uh, he was Biggie, in a sense. Biggie was always scared of scared of rejection. He didn't mm. want anybody to tell him no or this isn't good enough. When in reality, it was phenomenal. But you know, I I can I can also understand that vulnerability too. So people always shopped Biggie's music for him, not just because like, "Oh, I'm gonna do this guy a favor." But really because, like, no, I believe in this kid. Like, this yeah. kid is nice. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. It turns out yeah, I mean, right. you, get that, you get that book, you're like, you, you've got to read this. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this guy. Yeah, you've right? got to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to ask a couple lightning round questions. And if you, you know, I don't I don't expect you to know every single thing that, you know, about his life. So if you if you don't know, don't worry about it. If you don't want to answer, don't worry about it. Yeah. So you're talking about, um, you know, just his, his lyrical skills. Mm -hmm. So, do you have a best bar of his? Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's his best, but the the verse that sticks out to me to to me the most, and the one that resonates with me the most, is the third verse on "Sky's the Limit." Uh, okay. The one, that, uh, the one we took. If the game shakes me or breaks me, I hope it makes me a better man. Mm. Take a better stand. Put money in my mom's. You know, that that verse because I feel like, you know, Biggie Smalls is obviously one of the greatest rappers of all time. But I feel like on that song, that was Christopher Wallace rapping. Mm. That was that was that was him saying where he wanted to take his life and, and why he was so excited about the future and, and what it could have been. So uh, at, at this point, I would say the third verse on Sky's the Limit. How about uh, get up in that ass quick, fast like Ramadan? Yeah, big, big was wild. Yeah, that 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 <laughs> definitely deserves it. Damn, it feels good to see people up on it. Flip two keys in two weeks and didn't flaunt it. Like, you know, I, it, it's from young G's. Like, you know, I, I could go on and on about those lyrics. But yeah. I mean, I, I learned from one of my I learned from one of my friends. You were talking about like the early Napster era. You know, they had like a million songs that were like not bootlegs. That's not the word. But you know what I mean? Like anybody can make it or give you know or record this much of the song and whatever or, or yeah. mash these two together. But like I learned a lot about like I'm like, oh, man, a freestyle is a freestyle. Like, man, he. But they're not always freestyles. Sometimes they're verses, you know, they know. But yeah. um, did you, what did you learn about, like, just his freestyle, just off the top ability? Oh, man, he he was one of those type of people that was always play, paying attention to, to you know, surroundings and, like, the people around him and, like, oh, let me make note of this. Let me make note of that. So mm. uh, he never wrote anything down. So mm. 
when you hear a verse like, uh, you know, it's all about the Benjamins, you hear that Donnie Brasco reference in that verse yeah. it's because, you know, he had just seen the movie a couple of hours. That was early. great in the book. That was awesome. Yeah. That was so, cool. yeah. so if he saw something around him going on, he would put it into a song. So it's like, I don't know if that answers your question in terms of freestyling, but like he, he was always a person that paid attention to, to everything that was happening around him because you never know. It could make it into, you know, the, the, Lil C's losing his front row of teeth in that car accident. Okay. You know, I make your mouthpiece so beast like Della Reese. Oh my God, squeeze, I never put that together. I never teeth, put that together. Teeth like Lil C's, yeah. Uh-huh. God dang. Yeah. So. Wow. So I guess it's probably an obvious question, but he was obviously a huge like mafia, like, like aficionado, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Frank White. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the line. Well, I mean, <laughs> Sinatra wasn't technically a mobster, but I love the line about you know, uh, yeah. what's the line in Brooklyn's in Brooklyn, right? <laughs> yeah, in Brooklyn's he, finest. He ran so around my, with him a lot. <laughs> my t- my ties like Sinatra, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Man, man. Yeah, and you know, yeah. Ready to Die was originally supposed to be called Teflon Don. Right. I learned based that from the book. A homage to John Gotti. Yeah. So right. he, he definitely loved the mafia. Okay. So how about so was was uh, I got a story tell? Was that Anthony Mason? For sure. For sure. That yeah, I mean that's what Fat Joe says. Anthony mm-hmm. Mason, who it, it, I Anthony Mason probably would have been my one of my last two guesses uh, from those Knicks squads. I've been like, man, ain't nobody messing with Anthony Mason. Ain't nobody messing with Charles Oakley. But yeah, according to right. Fat Joe, what he what he said, I believe it was on Highly Questionable. That okay, one time. yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's right. The ESPN one too. Oh man, yep, man. We didn't talk a lot, a lot, a lot of details, but there's that last chapter. Like you said, there's really that that distinction between Christopher Wallace and Biggie Smalls, which in just describing it could come off as, as corny. It It is so nuanced. It's so good. Um, you know, I would consider myself to know, you know, more than a little bit more than half of people do about Biggie. Like, I don't I'm not an expert, yeah. but I definitely know a good amount. I learned so much, so much more respect for his mom. I already had a lot. And yeah, just the fact of his age and the potential. And, you know, it really does come down to what you talk about. Like, just get to know me, man. Yeah. I, I just huge congratulations. People need to read this book. Even the freaking cover is so awesome. So cool. You know, the, yeah. little, the little gold lettering on the side. Yeah. Um, I just absolutely devoured it. And I'm a big hip hop head, but I think people who aren't, which are, I know are still going to love it. There's just so much going on. I'd love if you have a chance to read there. We talked about um in the finished copy, I think it's page 321. Yeah, this is towards the end. I felt like it really kind of summed up just what's so great about this book. Yeah, so I'll read I'll read this passage and hopefully I don't stumble over too many words here. <laughs> uh, but let's let's give it a shot. This is um in one of the last few chapters, maybe the last chapter before the second to the last chapter, rather. So, yeah, page 321 in the book. Now, granted, Big had a choice. He didn't have to hit that corner and go from honor roll student who who likely could have obtained a scholarship to his pick of schools. But how much could he have realized the choice that he had? Outside of his mother, the depth of role models with quote-unquote traditional career and life paths were few and far between. Also, Big was young when he finally stepped off that stoop. It's not uncommon for young people to make foolish short-term decisions. He made a bad choice, but it's hard to totally fault Big. That is one thing about Big I hope people appreciate and understand. He made a bad choice because that bad choice seemed like the only choice in the moment. 
and he stopped making that choice when he found a viable alternative. I can honestly tell you, in a different environment, that kid would have been Shakespeare. Obviously, we, pro we probably would have been deprived of Biggie and his wonderful works, but at that same time, the things he was exposed to really had serious consequences, said Smart, who was one of his childhood friends. I don't mean to be dramatic, but it's just very close to my heart. I've seen so many kids that were gifted and just threw it away, you know? Travel through Big's journey, and there are countless times you'll ask yourself why, or even beg in your mind for him to take a different route. His success is a tale of ghetto triumph. But there's also sides to his personality that deserve further examination in a world where uncomfortable conversations are way more out in the open than when than they were when he walked the earth. In life, Big, like so many other Black men, misunderstood by society, beloved by his community, and wielding his talent to make space for himself in a wider world. The words he spoke with that one-of-a-kind flow and the stories he brought to life captured what it was like growing up Black in America and the horrors that experience brought. But it's also countless beauties, and somewhere in the middle, the uncomfortable complexities of it all, too. His music was never monolithic because he wasn't, because none of us are. His art has outlived him. In some ways, it makes it seem like he never really left. Walk into any party right now and turn on Big Papa, One More Chance, Player's Anthem, Mo Money, Mo Problems, or any song from his brief yet incredibly prolific catalog engage the reaction. Say spread love is the Brooklyn way and try not to smile. Pull up on the corner of Fulton Street in St. James Place, or as it's known now, Christopher Notorious B.I.G. Wallace Way. Or watch his Martin episode and try not to laugh. When we talk about the word legacy, Christopher Wallace has just that. Man, thank you so much. I feel like that that really summed it up. And and on the page, on that page, as you read it, it's a ten out of ten. But when you when it, you know, along with all the other context from the beginning of the book, it's it's a twelve out of ten because it really encapsulates. Like I talk, we talk about so many facets of his life, and man, he was young. Yeah, man, he was yeah, young. definitely man. young, bro. Definitely young. Appreciate that so much. Appreciate your time. I wonder where, I mean, I know there's a lot of places, but any particular place you love people to go buy the book? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I always try to try to support Black-owned bookstores. Uh, you know, I'm always a big fan of that. But, you know, of course, you get it off Amazon. You probably get it off cheap on Amazon. <laughs> um, uh, books a million, basically wherever they sell books. So, you there know, you start, start with the Black-owned bookstores and then branch out. There you go. I mean, you got you got too much good stuff like AMPM back in the day. I mean, we I would love to talk more <laughs> even about about uh, the Nipsey Hustle podcast. Yeah. Living in L.A. And like I said, being a being a hip hop head, but I feel like I did not get a lot of of Nipsey, and I felt like I learned so much from it. You can find it on ESPN, and I'll put it in the series note on the podcast, the Thirty for Thirty, your Dwayne Wade book as well, which you can see in the background. I just love to know what's um what you got coming because man, you are young, right? Yeah, yeah. You well, know, I you like got a lot of years ahead of you. What, what do you, what are you, uh, what are you working on? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, well, yeah I'm still trying to figure out what my second book is going to be about. Mm. So, if you got any ideas, feel free to shoot them over to me. Okay. You know, I'm listening to everything, but uh, I'm not really, um, I'm not, I'm not sure what my second book is going to be about just yet. So, I'm just working on some different stories, and yeah. I'm working on a LeBron series right now uh, that I've been doing oh. all series called LeBron po LeBron's Power Play. So, I got a big story coming out in a couple of weeks mm. about that. Is, is there a legit chance that he plays with his son in the NBA, do you think? I think so. 
I, I mean, be so cool. be so I think cool. I think it'll be cool to see. Yeah, it'll be cool to see. But we'll see, man. We'll see how right. these injuries work. Right. So um, I, I maybe not going to say the title on 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 audio here, but uh, maybe your second book is just about the pickle juice skit. From Notorious, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> or we yeah. can we can break down like the commas and the punctuation in uh one more chance the uh, <laughs> low down dirty even like his brother Keenan like damn it's so many commas yeah man like he, he what a verse though that that was a that was a classic verse for sure for sure that that's my favorite rap video of all time one of these days I'm gonna oh yeah brownstone in Brooklyn and recreate that video so call your role now <laughs> there you go right. <laughs> Well, great way to end because that was one of the many, so many cool stories from the book is about just the remix of One More Chance and how, how Diddy made that happen and how that was a hit for, for Biggie. Must read. And again, it's called It Was All a Dream, Biggie and the World That Made Him. I want to appreciate, I want to tell you so much. Uh, thank you for your time and really appreciate you and, and great luck in the future. Yeah, thank you for having me on. The pleasure has been all mine. Such a pleasure. What a pleasure it's been today to speak with Justin Tinsley. Continue good luck to him with his writing. So looking forward to continue to follow his career and his important work. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa. Find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills of Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills of Will PO1. Now, Justin, you're definitely on Twitter and Instagram. Are you are you TikToking? Uh yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing, but hold on, I can tell you what my TikTok name is right now. Give me one second. Please. Yeah, so my TikTok name is jtinsley86. <laughs> jtinsley86. Do you have a lot of content up there? Uh yeah, I got well, not as much as other people, but like you'll see like a bunch of like my videos from like around the horn up there. I'm I'm I need to get better at TikTok. I need to pay somebody to run my TikTok for me. There you me. go. There yeah. <laughs> You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at Will podcast Peter Real. My last name is R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. It's a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down, and the other song played on the episode is Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 170 with Richard T. Rodriguez, a Renaissance man and professor of English at the University of California, Riverside. He's the author of A Kiss Across the Ocean from Duke Press, and he's Dr. Ricky on the radio at KUCR 88.3 FM. And that episode will air on March 14th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Justin Tinsley, whose work, like it was all a dream, Biggie and the world that made him, gives you chills at will. Mm -hmm.